Wow, that's exciting. That's always something new. That's great. Ways that we can make this very practical. Well, uh, happy Thanksgiving week. Uh, I think Thanksgiving is, it might be my favorite holiday. I have all these incredible memories of our family and times together. <clears throat> and we have so much to be thankful for. You know, I, I said Thanksgiving week. Actually, several years ago, we here at the Vineyard declared November to be a Thanksgiving month, okay? And so I, I'll tell you more about that. But it's kind of a strange holiday season this year. Not as strange as last year. I mean, that was really strange. I mean, with all the masks and distancing, but it's, it's still strange. And uh, we are living in such a, a strange time in, in our world. And there are so many things to be concerned with. There's so many things to fear. There's so many uh, things that just aren't the way that they should be. And so the question is always, well, how do we, as followers of Jesus, uh, live out uh, the kind of life that God intends us to live uh, in, in the midst of, you know, disease and death and, and social and political upheavals of economic uncertainty, inflation, and a world that just seems like it's just spinning out of control. So there are, obviously, that's many facets to that and many answers to that. But I just want to talk about a couple of things, a couple of practices that I believe can radically transform our, our lives, the quality of our lives, and our experience with God. And for those of you who have uh, been around here at the Vineyard for uh, a long time have heard me speak on this several times because I've preached this same message several times. I, I believe that it's timeless, uh, that, it, that it's universal, and uh, it's very practical. Matter of fact, I don't know of any other single thing, practice, that will give more uh, results quicker and more effective than these. So I, and, and I realize that that's quite a claim, but I, I'm going to talk about two uh, kind of interrelated practices, similar practices. I want to talk about thanksgiving and contentment. You know, a frequent theme here at the Vineyard we, is God's presence. We love God's presence, and we, we sing about it all the time, we preach about it all the time. Uh, and, and even though we know that God is omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere present all the time, we also know that God's presence is more manifest, more tangible, more experienced at certain times and in certain places. And you've probably all experienced some of those those times where God's presence seemed to be very close and manifest. Uh, and often that is, you know, in a, in a worship setting. But we want to know God's presence in the in-between times. 
in all of the mundane and ordinary times bet between our worship. And so uh, thanksgiving is a practice that will cultivate that experience as more of a, of a lifestyle than an event. The Jews in the Bible, for the Jews in the Bible, God's presence was found in a place, a tabernacle or a temple. And that's what the psalmist was speaking about in Psalm 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness, faithfulness continues through all, all generations. Enter in to his presence with thanksgiving. See, a, a grateful heart is like a welcome mat to the presence of God by the Holy Spirit. When we cultivate thankfulness, when we focus our thoughts on the goodness of God towards us and all of the blessings in our life, then we are cultivating an atmosphere that like attracts the Holy Spirit, if you will. Uh, my wife calls it a landing strip for the Holy Spirit. Conversely, when we get caught up with unthankfulness, when we give our, over to complaining and grumbling and resentment, basically what we're doing is turning away from the presence of God. And we experience the presence of God to a lesser degree than we would otherwise. And that's not just a picture of like in worship, but that's a picture of kingdom living, the kind of life that God wants us to live. Thanksgiving is an action. It's an action that flows out of a heart of gratitude. And it is one of the key ingredients to living that kind of life. See, when it's a powerful tool that God has given us that aligns our lives, it aligns our thoughts and our emotions and our will with God's intention for us. See, and it's, it's really simple, and yet, I think, quite overlooked. Thanksgiving is a choice, and it's a spiritual discipline. The more that we practice it, the more that our lives are transformed, coming into alignment with what God wants for us. See, the more that we practice Thanksgiving in all of our circumstances, the more that the more that we rise above those circumstances to live that kind of life. And it's an exercise that almost has immediate results. Paul wrote this to the Thessalonians. He said, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So he tells, us, tells them to do three things and then says something very powerful, that this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's intention for you. This is the, the, what, how God wants you to live. 
And it's possible because Christ died on the cross, rose again, and has given us a new kind of life to live. But each of these things is a choice. They're not easy choices. They're not natural choices. But just like any kind of discipline or exercise that we do, it gets easier the more you do it, right? The two-mile walk seems shorter, and the 100-pound weight seems lighter the more you exercise, okay? Well, see, it's real easy to give God thanks when everything is going well, right? But it is nearly impossible, at least at first, when things start going the way that we don't hope that they would go, right? But you see, the more we practice thanksgiving, the more it becomes natural for us to respond to circumstances that way. And see, that's the nature of trans transformation. God is transforming our lives to be more like his, to come into alignment with how he wants us to live. And so he's given us these kinds of disciplines, if you will, to make it really practical. And then he gives us the, the ability to do it by his Holy Spirit. And so, again, that's what God, in that transformation is what God wants for us. It's his will for us. God wants us to live a whole free life, free from other people, free from circumstances, and free from our past. See, now the scripture here reads, in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. See, we don't, that's an important distinction. We don't need to be thankful for evil in our lives, but in the midst of evil, we're called to be thankful. See, we live in a fallen world. We all realize that. It's full of evil. And it's broken. And it's broken on every level. And sometimes our circumstances are the result of the, the brokenness of our world around us. But you see, we can be thankful in the midst of the circumstance regardless of its source. See, that's the freedom that we as Christians have from the tyranny of circumstance. They don't control us. Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator, once had his wallet stolen. And he said this, I will be thankful. First, because I was never robbed before. Second, that although they took my billfold, they did not take my life. Third, that though they took my all, it was not that much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. I can be thankful for any circumstance. There's always something to be thankful for. See, now sometimes my circumstances are the result of bad choices that I've made. Well, again, I don't have to be thankful for the bad choice, but I can be thankful for the forgiveness that I receive. I can be thankful for the lesson that I learned from it, and I can be thankful for the opportunity to get it right next time, right? There's a great story 
of thankfulness in the life of Jesus. It's found in Luke 17. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, in order for a leper at that time to be uh, pronounced clean and readmitted into society, the priest had to uh, make that determination. And so all, all 10 of them, they went, uh, obviously believing you know, something was going to happen, uh, or at least believing that they ought to do what Jesus said, and they were healed. Not instantly, but they were healed on the way. But then verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Only one came back to thank Jesus. He fell at Jesus' feet and thanked him and worshipped him. Verse 17, Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. So Jesus asked the key question, where were the other nine? Why didn't the other nine, when they realized that they were healed on the way, turn around and come back to thank Jesus like the one? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us why. doesn't tell us what happened to the other nine. We can speculate, which I will do. See, I, I think it, by Jesus' question, I, I, I think it's, Jesus thought it was appropriate that they would have come back and thanked him. But maybe we have a clue in the story. See, it says that he was a, a Samaritan, a foreigner. Now, the Jews really looked down on the, on the Samaritans. They, they viewed them as half-breeds. And they, they would have nothing to do with them, feeling that they were inferior to them. So, so maybe, maybe this lowly Samaritan being a spiritual outcast to the Jews and then being a social outcast because of his leper, maybe he felt more than the others that he didn't deserve anything from this Jesus, this Jewish healer. Maybe that was the key to his thankfulness is that he had no expectation that he deserved it. See, we live in a day of entitlement. Everybody feels that they're entitled to the good life. Now, that means different things to different people. But in any case, it, never, it, it's as though it's an inalienable right. It seems that everybody feels that they're entitled to a fairy tale life, or at least a fairy tale end, end, ending. You know, the prince should come and rescue you, 
and live happily ever after. And when that doesn't happen, people feel like they've been cheated rather than getting what they deserve. They feel like they've been shortchanged by life. And they often do more complaining than being thankful. You can see that in our mentality by the fact that how shocked we are and upset when things go wrong. We get sick and we go, oh God, why did you allow this to happen? Or tragedy strikes us and we say, oh God, why, why did you do this to me? But you see, we're, we're not shocked when good things happen to us. We're not shocked, we're not upset when good things, and we say, oh God, how did you let this good stuff happen to me? See, because we feel that good things we're entitled to and bad things are undeserved. Unfair. What happened to the other nine? I, I don't know, maybe they thought that they they didn't have leprosy after all, and they just got better on the way. You know, there's the old story of the guy that was working on the roof, and he starts to slip, and he's sliding down, and he prays, Oh, God, oh, God, save me, and I will serve you all the days of my life. And just then, his pant gets caught on a nail. He stops. He says, Oh, God, forget it. I didn't need it, you anyway. Did you get that? See, per perhaps, which is just common, is that people just got so caught up in their experience, their freedom, their healing, that they just forgot to go back and thank the one who gave it to them. See, one of the things that affects our, our thankfulness is our le level of contentment. The Apostle Paul was content. This is what he said of himself in Philippians 4. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You know, as soon as we digest our turkey dinner this week, we enter into what I call the season of discontent. It starts on Black Friday. And we are bombarded on our screens, on you know, TV, on billboards along the road, telling us of all the things that we don't have. And no matter what you do have, someone always has more, better, better, more bells and whistles than you. Somebody always has better toys, somebody always has better looks, more friends than you. See, contentment in the biblical sense is a state of being satisfied or at peace with our circumstances. It is living independent 
of our circumstances and finding resources in God that are sufficient for us. But you see, contentment, again, is not a natural thing. It has to be learned. Just like Paul had to learn it, we have to learn it. He wrote here two times, he says, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I have learned the secret of being content in any in every situation. It doesn't come natural. It's even it's actually counterintuitive and really rare to, to live in contentment. It's a skill that we have to learn or develop in our life. You see, if I ask you right now, all of you, are you content in your life right now? And most of you would probably say, yeah. But I could use a little bit more. A little bit bigger, nicer house, a little bit nicer car, a little bit bigger salary, a, bit, a little bit easier job. See, there was some interesting research done years ago that said no, re, people, regardless of their income level, felt that to truly be happy, they would just need a little bit more, like 20% more, okay? And it isn't just about money and stuff. I mean, it's about achievements and success and recognition and, and appreciation and relationships. If we just had a little bit more, we would be happy. But you see, contentment is never found in getting more. More money, more success, more friends, more anything. See, contentment is never achieved. It's a learned behavior of the heart. We, le we, we learn contentment when we say to God, Lord, Whatever portion that you have given to me in my life, I, I accept that. And I'm, I'm at peace with that. Whatever boundaries that you have set for me, I will live within that at peace. See, because all of us have been given different abilities, different gifts, different, different genetics, different attractiveness than other people. Different callings. But see, but to learn contentment is to joyfully submit ourselves to God in the circumstance that we find ourselves in. Now that isn't to say, don't get me wrong, that isn't to say that we should just uh, we shouldn't be looking to improve our lives or our circumstances. I mean, if contentment doesn't mean that we're to be a doormat or we're just to accept everything or, or uh, an unjust situation or, to, you know, living in poverty, but it does mean that, see, if you can change your circumstances and improve them, 
and still be obedient to God and keep your priorities straight, then by all means, do it. But the truth is, is contentment will never be found in those things. And on top of that, there's so many things in life that we, we just can't, it's beyond our ability to change. And some things could only be changed by being disobedient to God or arranging our priorities in a wrong direction. See, Paul said he learned the secret. It's not a secret because God hasn't revealed it. It's a secret because it's really hard to find and to live. So how do you know if you're discontent? Well, the biggest indicator is grumbling and complaining. You know that this contentment is missing in your life when there is a gr grudge against life or circumstances where, where you have this judgment in your heart that it's unfair. So we complain. We complain about our husband or our wife. We complain about our boss or our job. We complain about the government, our coworkers, our apartment. See, grumbling and complaining is the biggest indicator that we're not content. You know, the year that we decided here that we were going to declare November as a, uh, a month of Thanksgiving, um, we decided to, several of us decided that we would go on a complaining fast. It was Lane's idea. <laughs> go figure. And so we all got these wristbands that say, give thanks. Oh, there they are. We actually even sold them in the old bookstore. And so the idea was, is that we would have them on our right wrist. And when, when we found ourselves complaining, we'd move it to our left wrist, OK? Well. Needless to say, there was a lot of left wrists, you know, wearing. And we, ha we had to make a rule a little bit into this that you, we couldn't monitor each other. Ah, oh, gotcha, move it to your left, you know, that you could only monitor yourself, all right? When we started paying attention to actually how much that we complained, about everything in life, it was really revealing. You know, someone asked me one time while we were doing that, they said, well, Steve, it, it seems as though your, your band is on your right wrist a lot. And I said, yes, I'm, I'm very gracious to myself. See, generally, Christians don't have a really good handle on the, the seriousness of the sin of complaining. I mean, what's the big deal? In Jude 14, the Bible speaks about ungodly men who live contrary to the nature of God. And their sin was that they were grumblers and complainers. The big sin of the children of Israel in the desert was that they were complaining against God. They complained about the manna. 
manna cereal, manna tacos, manna every day, and they complain. See, sometimes we have no idea that our complaints against our spouse, against our boss, against the government, are really accusations against God. And what complaining does is kill that, that thankfulness in our heart and our experience of God's presence. But you see, even more serious than the sin of complaining, there's something more harmful and more sort of life-draining than our simple, our simple daily complaints, and that is resentment. This deep-seated, though underlying, though often not spoken, anger and disappointment with the way your life has gone. It's the feeling that your story should be different. That you are somehow shortchanged in life and by extension by God. And that has to do with your past, the good, bad, and the ugly. Because you see, your life story is more, you know well, is more than just the good. It's all of it. All of it that has brought you to this point in your life. And it, thankfulness embraces our whole life. Now, now you, in our whole story. Now you might say, wait a minute. People, really bad things have happened to me. People have hurt me. People have abused me. People have, I have been betrayed. I have made huge mistakes in my own life. My marriage failed. I failed my kids. My parents failed me. Do you, am I saying that you really need to be thankful in all of those things? Yeah. And that's hard. But that's the kind of life that we're invited into, is to find, embrace our story in God with thankful hearts. See, all of those things woven together is our story. And in many ways, it's shaped who we are. We have a new identity in Christ, but we all have a unique story. The bad things that happen to you, though they did not come directly from God, God uses those things to make us, to make you a person that can relate to the sufferings of others. That, that causes you to, to be averse to doing those same things to others that were done to you. See, through them, through all of these things, we learn to forgive. And the bad things that we have done causes us to appreciate the forgiveness of God and the forgiveness of others towards us. 
We live in a malcontent culture. It is so normal to complain about the weather, about the government, about our jobs, about our boss, our spouses, or you mature ones about our aches and pains. My wife reminds me I'm really bad at that. <laughs> and complaining is infectious. It affects those around us. It can change the atmosphere of a home, of an office, a shop, or even a church. And it will negatively affect your soul. Which brings me to the end of the leper story. See, this lowly, thankful Samaritan found a much greater blessing than just his physical healing, which was an amazing thing to be cured of leprosy. But all the lepers were healed, but Jesus commended this one and pronounced him well, or the word there, whole. It can mean saved, but I, I don't think salvation in the sense of going to heaven someday was what Jesus was speaking about there. He was speaking about a deep wellness of his soul. This is God's will for us, as Paul told the Thessalonians. It's a choice, but it is, as Paul said, only found in Christ Jesus. You can only find this kind of thankfulness, this kind of life, this kind of freedom above your circumstances in Christ Jesus. by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not natural, it's not easy, but it is available to us in God. And for that, we can be thankful. And see, that's the invitation that God makes to us this morning and every morning. Will we choose to be thankful? Will we choose life.